The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Joey, one of my favorite books from the last couple of years was Robert Kiyosaki's book, Cashflow Quadrant. Yeah, no, I I think it's one of the must reads for sure. Well, I'd love part of his thinking in there is that the lowest tax rates with the highest rates of return with the highest level of control exist on the right side of that quadrant inside the B quadrant as a business owner and as the I quadrant as the investor. And if you've never heard of the cash flow quadrant, um, just to kind of round it out on the left side is the employee. And then the, the self-employed is the second quadrant. So we're talking about moving from the employee or self-employed quadrants into the business owner and or investor quadrants and to the, take advantage of those benefits. And the purpose of bringing that up is in today's roundtable where we talk about how to use the infinite banking concept where we take dividend paying life insurance policies, store cash in them, and then use that cash to finance our businesses and our investments. And we're going to talk about what are some of those frequently asked questions we get about how you do that? What are some practical ways to implement those things? And if you're not in the B or I I quadrant, you need to be. And I'm going to just kind of preface that we are able to create more control and more return when we are in those quadrants. So I hope today's um, podcast will be insightful to you as to why and how that works, but also maybe motivational to you if you're not yet in those quadrants to start moving there. And, And as always, if you're not already a part of our inner circle, you have an opportunity right? Go to wealth.wallstreet.com forward slash inner circle. We have a seven day free trial. You can join, check it out. You get access to our 201 videos, right? Learning all the different ways we use infinite banking along with being in the room when we're doing this roundtable live and then being on for a Q&A afterwards with all of our coaches every single week. And what's the so what to that, Joey? What does someone benefit by having access to all of those things? I mean, at the end of the day, this is a process of infinite banking and it's not just buying a product and moving on. I mean, how many people have we had joined the inner circle because they need coaching? They want to get to that next level. They want to find ways to utilize this throughout their lives. That's what you're going to pick up here. This is this is learning with a coach along the way so that you can make the most of the infinite banking concept. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who you might be one of these who've started an insurance policy but you've been wondering now what exactly the inner circle is the solution to the now what and i don't want to leave it any longer let's jump into this episode and belly up welcome to the wealth without wall street podcast your guide to understanding how to get out of the wall street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle now don't let these handsome southern draws fool you these financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, 
Russ Morgan, and Joey Murray. Welcome into the IBC Roundtable, where every week we go into your favorite subject, the infinite banking concept. I am one of your co-hosts, Russ, the Idea Guy Morgan, sitting next to my other co-host and business partner, the Italian Stallion, Mr. Joey Murray. What's up, Joey? Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be here. Joey, I, I know that last week you were having to host this thing all by yourself without me. How'd you do? Yeah, some would say the introductions were rough. Yeah, I, I heard you lacked enthusiasm, and which is really upsetting to me, considering that we get a chance to sit around the table with the best coaches in the infinite banking community. At least you can do is pep them up a little bit. Yeah, I, I will say I'm glad to have you back because that's not my gift. That's not your gift. No. All right. Some would say that I don't even do the best job of introducing them because they don't like all the names I give them. Like our friend across the table here, the Indiana Jones of finance, a man that goes deep looking for gold or treasure to help you get to closer to financial freedom, Mr. Downtown Ernie Brown. What's up, Ernie? What's up, Russ? I, I will say it caught on a little bit. Somebody called us other than they asked me, so you're the Indiana Jones? I said, yes, that's right. Not to be mistaken as the gold digger. <laughs> 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 very, very good. Yeah. I mean, you're just a financial uh, archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> we should switch to that. Yeah, there you go. I, I struggled to get that one out. All right. Across the table from us, Mr. Incredible, the man with the million dollar smile, JD Hill. What's up, JD? Hey, how is uh how are you doing? I'm glad you're back. Um thank you. Saying that that Joey lacked enthusiasm was was putting it mildly. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, JD. Was he the I Al just, <laughs> Yes, I, I just, you know, I look. We're all friends here, right? Let's just let's just be candid and honest with each other, and and say that uh, Joe, you just have a really good personality, but your enthusiasm last week was was a three, a solid three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I deserve that. All I deserve right. it. Well, let, let's let's get on to today's topic, right? Because I I've been eager to talk a little bit about how we use this process of infinite banking in our business. And I think all of us have a different perspective on that. And I think we, we get questions to us on a daily, weekly basis. And I want to hear from some of you guys uh, that maybe get a few more than I do. So Ernie, I, I'm gonna let you start. Like what, what are some of the questions or maybe just start with one question that you hear a lot as it relates to using infinite banking within the business? Uh, I think one of the main things hear this over and over and over is I want to be careful that I don't commingle my funds. So how, how can I not commingle my funds if I'm putting my cash into my policy? Why do you think that that's a concern? Well, another good question. I, I think it's probably multifaceted. I think people can either be concerned about how they spend cash out of the business or be afraid that when it comes time for preparing their taxes, they're they're not going to be prepared for that. Yeah, no, no doubt. How about you, JD? What's uh, one of the most frequently asked questions you get around this topic? Uh, I, you know, from a business owner perspective, the, the I think the the common theme that I hear often is, "Can I deduct the premiums?" Ooh, everybody want to save taxes, huh? Everybody wants this. No, nobody wants to willfully give money away right particularly to the government 
Joey? He's not a, he's not a good uncle. Well, yeah. let me ask, JD, do people ask you about not just deducting their premiums, but can I deduct the loan interest as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that was a conversation we actually had uh, today uh, with a particular individual um, asking if, you know, if I loan money to myself or to one of my businesses, can I deduct those, the, the interest from that, uh, from that loan? Uh, so it's, it's, it's generally geared around taxes uh, is, is what I get a lot. Well, why, why do you think that business owners particular, I mean, I, it doesn't come up as much when you're talking to somebody that doesn't own a business. Yeah. Why do you think it is more so in the business, in the business owner's mind? Uh, well, I, you know, cause look, I don't remember uh, who, who coined this particular expression, but you know, it, it's not how much you make, right. But how much you keep that matters. And so I, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, if I'm going to be doing this and outlaying dollars, right. How much of this am I going to be able to keep and retain? Yeah. I've, I've read that quote before. I think it was JD Rockefeller. Close. Yes. Close. Almost. <laughs> it was so, not JD Hill. Okay. Not, it was close. What, what about you, Joe? What, what's a, a frequently asked question you get when it comes to this space? From a business owner's perspective, I think um, a lot of people ask just how are other people using infinite banking in their business? Cause they, they start to catch on that, man, this could be used for a lot of different things, I think. And they don't want to get too far ahead. So they start saying, well, how are other people using this? And, you know, stories come up like, um, you know, people buying equipment for their business and then loaning that, like instead of financing that through a traditional bank, how they can pay that back to a, the loan that they've created from their policy. And, and I love, you know, the conversation that you, you love to talk about is EVA, right? Economic value added, which we need to have a whole, I think a whole podcast on that. But yeah, how that, you then you know that you're making a good decision because you've put a, a proper cost of, of capital on that. Is this like the winner's round from uh, a couple of weeks ago's podcast when we were <laughs> determined what was the number one reason to implement IBC? No, Russ. Uh, this is talking about using it in your business. So that's why we brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to come back to that. I, 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 think, I still think I won. <laughs> I, one of the ones that I get a lot is who can I insure? And okay. it's, it's really funny today. I was sitting here talking to Maddie as I was coming in. We're like pulling together kind of all the policies I have just to kind of have a little review. And I was asking her, okay, does that have all the ones on my wife? Yeah. Does that have all the ones I own on Joey? Yes. Does that have the ones that uh, I own on uh, this person? And what about the one I own on Jenny? And she's like, yeah. By the way, who's Jenny? <laughs> And I was like, why do you want to know? I was at important. She's like, I'm always going to be on the woman's side. Jenny from the block. <laughs> Did you tell her it was Jenny from the block? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that was somebody that used to work in a business that we owned for a while. And, you know, that was an employee that we own uh, a policy on because they were a valuable employee. And, and when we sold the business, we kept the policy. So it's still a place that I... I keep cash. And so that's a question I think that comes up a lot is who can you own policies on? Like well, as what, a business owner, it's important because there's key people in our business, right? I was going to say like, what, what context does that usually come up in? Is it the first policy? Is it subsequent policies? Like when does, when does that come up mostly for you? Well, I mean, it all depends, right? I mean, it depends on the situation. If the individual is uninsurable, then it might come up early, right? It right. Might be at one of the first questions, Hey, look, I, I can't get insurance because, you know, I'm a, a type one diabetic and 
and I, you know, have been for you know 30 years and also smoke three packs a day and, you know, uh, do some illicit drugs, you know, you know, those things may prohibit me from getting insurance. Yeah. Now I haven't had that conversation, but you get the <laughs> okay. point. If somebody is down a road where they don't think they can get insurance that I think they, a natural reaction is to start thinking who could I insure? Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think it typically comes up more when people are looking to expand their system and let's say they've got really close to maxing out what they can get on themselves or within their own family. Then they start looking for, you know, alternative places to expand to. That's just been my experience on that. All right. I want to go back to you, Ernie. You talked about commingling funds. So let, let's, let's talk about how do we practically avoid commingling funds if we're going to use infinite banking within the business? Man, you're asking, I, your questions are just hitting me, making me think. It makes me think, well, can IBC actually help keep me from commingling funds mm. if we're using very specific cash flows towards these policies i think it could actually give us more clarity and help keep better accounting of our cash in our businesses well it, it makes me think about profit first right mm, and exactly. when we run our business and we run a profit first model or we're using the budgeting course which we can do the same budgeting course that we have the automated budget in our community can be implemented in a business setting where we are taking our quote unquote savings dollars and getting those into a separate account. I mean, here's, here's a key guys that when, when you're running a business, you're running the business for the purpose of a profit, right? That profit to show the greatest profit you can for what purpose? To sell the business. To be able to sell the business. Right. Or to grow, to bring in other investors and capital into the business. You need to show the value of the business. Exactly. I think sometimes people run their business like a hobby. And I think that the concept of commingling funds reminds me to the mistakes I made early on. When I first started in the financial business, and I was just a little tiny business owner, I, I had I was basically a sole proprietor. All my money came into one checking account. And the money that I used to pay for my mortgage and to pay for all the groceries and everything else we did was the same money I used to pay for technology, for pay, pay for computer equipment, to pay my uh, assistant, uh, the phone bill. Everything that happened from the business was getting paid out of one account. Now, you got you might imagine that creates some serious confusion confusion, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't know what was what, you know, I didn't know how much money was available for the, for the home or for the business. Cause it was all commingled together. That's a problem. And I, I love it when business owners want to avoid commingling funds. Cause what they're saying is I don't want to be unclear about where my money is. And I think that's a mistake business owners make sometimes is that they leave money in accounts and don't really understand what's the true purpose. So one of the things we would say to answer the problem of the business, where should the business put the, um, if it's trying to get money into policies, should it be personally owned or business owned, Joey, in your opinion? So actually learned this from Nelson, uh, but you, you always want to own them personally, if at all possible. And only whenever it's required for it to be owned by the business to own it by the business. Expand upon that a little bit. Why, why do you think he said that? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You got to think about the profits of the business should be brought to you as the business owner. In fact, most people have a, a, a kind of a backwards idea that they think if they leave money and retained earnings, it's not going to be taxed. 
And 90 plus percent probably of all business owners are in a pass-through kind of capacity, like an S-corp or LLC of some sort. And that, that money is all going to be taxed, whether it's in the business or outside of the business. So that doesn't really matter. So the, the kicker is only when you buy a policy that the business owns on somebody else, like a key person, should that business own the policy. Otherwise, you want to maintain that control personally and keep that as a separate asset that doesn't get necessarily tied into the business. JD, you want to add into that topic at all? Yeah, I, I think uh, I would agree with Joey. You know, when look, if 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 the policy is owned by the business, it becomes an asset to the business. So when you go to sell it, that becomes one of the assets on the business that like is included in all of that. And I think in order to keep things clean and neat, it's it's much cleaner um, to have that owned outside the business, particularly you know, when you think about how most entities are set up, which is as an LLC or an S corp, which are pass throughs anyways. Right. So whether the business owns it or I own it personally, the funds are all coming, you know, from, from a pass through, you know, regardless. So, so it doesn't give you, I don't think any real material advantage to, to have the business own the policy, unless there's some particular reason or strategy that you're trying to solve or accomplish by having the business own, own the policy. Yeah, I think unless it is like a non-deferred compensation type plan or you're buying a policy on a key employee, sometimes um, you'll have businesses that will will own the policies if they have four or five different you know, business owners to make it simple. If they're buying policies on all of them, they call that entity purchase as opposed to having the cross purchase, which can get a little more convoluted when, when you have more than a couple of business owners. Okay. I've heard enough about infinite banking. I'm pretty sure it's a fit for me and my family, Russ. How do I get started? Let's take that pretty sure and make it darn sure. The reason you do that is that you get clarity, Joe. You need to get on a 15-minute call with one of our coaches at wealthwellstreet.com forward slash free call. Then you'll know where you're starting from and where you're headed. And only then can you implement the infinite banking process. All right. So go to wealthwellstreet.com forward slash free call to get that 15-minute conversation, gain clarity. But now, let's jump back into today's episode. But yeah, I, I agree. Like The goal should be that we get the money out of the business. And here, and here well, you were talking about EVA, Joey. This is how EVA comes into place, right? We got the money out of the business. All that money that's been sitting in the business checking account, as you said, a lot of business owners make the mistake of saying, oh, I don't want to distribute that money because as soon as I distribute, I have to pay taxes. No, you like you said, if you made a profit... You pay taxes in the year in which the profit was made, regardless if you sent it to your checking account or left it in the business check account. That didn't matter. They they come, become aware of that. And you say, well, but here's a problem is that when you have lots of money in the business checking account, what do you think people do with the money? They, they get silly with their purchases. They just think, well, I've got the cash. I can afford it. It makes sense to buy X, Y, or Z. And, and they don't do the math. They don't do the cost analysis of, if I use this cash and I put a interest rate to it, right? If I were quote unquote loaning it from a, a another outside entity to this business, had to pay back the principal, had to pay back the interest, would the investment turn a profit? Which I, I, you always tell me a great um, story about a dentist that you knew that was buying, I, I believe it was like an x-ray machine. And tell me how that played out, because I remember that being really clear once you explained it. Well, it's when, when they were buying an x-ray machine from the actual business checking account, 
you know, all money that came in was profitable, right? They just assumed that that was profitable as opposed to saying, well, what if you had taken a bank loan that given you the loan over three years at 7% interest and you had a $800 a month payment or $1,500 a month payment, whatever it is, are you doing enough x-rays to pay for that and make a profit that would be reasonable or, you know, better than something else you could have done with the money? And people don't know that. So when you take the money out of the business checking account, you distribute it to yourself personally. You can use that to go buy an insurance policy on yourself. And then every time the business wants to, for instance, in that example, wants to buy an x-ray machine, we do the evaluation. We say, well, we know we take a policy loan. There's going to be a cost, right? That's right. You got to put the money back in there because we want to have access to the money for the next time. And so then we can do the simple analysis to determine does it make sense? It's always easier when the money's coming from an outside entity as opposed to inside cash. That's right. All right, let's let's go back to um, JD. Your your question. You were kind of talking about um, taxes and deductibility of premiums and stuff like that. Let's talk practically around that. Like what what can business owners do as it relates to deducting premiums and how do they avoid taxes as a race to the IBC or can they? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really good question. Um, technically, you can deduct the premiums if you want to. Uh, however, I would strongly advise against that uh, because that's going to eliminate all of the tax benefits. And so from, from an IRS standpoint, yeah, this is overly simplified, um, but they either want their money on the front end or they want their money on the back end. So if I'm deducting the money on the front end, then they're going to get their money on the back end. And so in an effort to keep the, the cash value accumulation and distributions clean and the death benefit, it's best to not deduct those particular, uh, those particular premiums. So, so what are some things you can do in an effort to uh, save taxes? I think the first thing is would be having a, a tax group that actually specializes in, in putting together tax strategies for your business. And, and what I mean by that is if you think about the nature of a CPA, and, and this isn't meant to, to demonize CPAs, but just you know, from my experience and, and what I've experienced in, in working with business owners for as long as I've been doing this is most of the time, the CPA is a historian, right? Meaning as a business owner, you go out you know, for 12 months, you make financial decisions. And then at the end of the year, you reconcile all of those financial decisions, you give them to your CPA, and then they record the history of those transactions onto a tax return and then file it. But there's no strategy involved in that, right? And so I, I think if you if you're working with a group that understands the nature of the tax code in your business, and you have a strategy and a plan before making financial decisions, that's how you can really put yourself in a position to pay the least amount in taxes. Yeah, I think that's a, a really lesser known thing, JD, is that most people are looking for whatever they can because they've gone year after year to their accountant, and they said, "Are you sure?" Are you sure there's nothing else I can do? And again, not not anything against CPAs, but that's not their job. Ultimately, they are just documenting, and um, and they they don't have the bandwidth to research the tax code at at length to find solutions. They're literally just trying to keep, you know, they're just trying to keep everything in line and making sure it's in compliance, if you will. Well, well, tell me, Joey, in your experience, you're not a CPA, you're not going to give tax advice but you have worked hand in hand with some of our tax attorneys and CPAs within our business. 
what are things that you've seen us be able to do from a tax strategy standpoint? Because yes, the insurance policy itself is not the avenue to reduce taxes. And that's a lot of times, unfortunately, I think what people do, they, they do hear the concept, I want to save taxes today. Right. And so what do they do? They put money inside of 401ks and SEP IRAs. Or, or the other thing I was going to add was at the end of the year, what kind of advice do they get from their accountant? Is there anything you can buy? Yeah, that's right. right. That, I mean, that's literally what you were talking about with the x-ray machine. I think that's kind of the permeated thought is if you have money in your account at the end of the year, we don't want to pay taxes on it. So let's just buy something. Yeah. Like, uh, Which, what do I need to buy? I don't know. Just find something. Right. If you have Which, a purpose, you have a need, then buy something. But if it's just yeah. money, I'd rather have uh, 65 cents on the dollar than none of the dollar. Right. Exactly. And when you spend the money, it's gone. So what is something that's happened in our business practically that we've been able to do to reduce taxes using strategies being proactive as opposed to reactive? So I, there's about six different things that I could point to, but I'll keep it to the just the simplest one in my mind. And, and that is using your home as a, uh, a place that your business can rent from. Okay, like a so meeting facility. A meeting facility. Yeah, like the, they call it the dwelling unit rental. And I believe it's 280 AG in the tax code that allows you to rent your home up to 14 days a year and not have to pay tax on any of that income. So give you an example for my house. And now granted, mine's not as big and as nice as Russ's, unfortunately. So I had to get an, uh, an appraisal done. Like there's steps you have to take. This isn't just like, you know, tomorrow you just start doing this. You have to take steps. I had to get an appraisal done, almost like it's a commercial piece of property. And they told me it's $1,500 a day. So as I rent my house out from my business, that's when I have you guys over to my house or we have um, you know, some other business purpose to have a meeting at my house. Up to 14 days a year, I can charge myself $1,500. As opposed right? to if you went down the street to the nicer resort there, rented out a conference room, rented out the, the little meeting space of, uh, you know, uh, next to it had access to bathrooms and the kitchen and everything else there so that you guys could eat over a four to five hour period of time. They're going to charge you roughly the same thing. 1500 bucks, right? That's right. And over the course of the year, if I do that 14 times, that's $21,000 that my business can legally pay me personally for the use of my house that I do not have to claim as income personally. Well, that means that in the other way to say that is that you would have to make thirty-five to $40,000 in order to get $21,000 out of your business. That's right. And I, I think that there are strategies to help reduce taxes without having to pay them in the future. And sometimes the concept of um, writing off the premiums is appealing. Well, you can write off maybe some of the death benefit cost if you were buying it on an employee or something like that, but you can't put in a hundred, 200, $500,000 a year in these policies, you can't write the cash off, right? That's you, right. Now, if you do buy policies on employees and you're setting up plans, bonus uh, plans, you, you uh, plans where uh, over time that they can uh, maybe be, be vested into buying the business. And then when you give them the money, then you can deduct the money that you gave them, but that's more of a payroll expense that's than right. it is a premium. Okay. All right, well, can I just add something real quick to, to the, the conversation? And, and that is, and I don't know how much you guys have experienced this as well, but I, I have found a lot in that um, we make decisions where we'll let the tax tail wag the dog. 
mm. right? Where the decisions that we make, we're filtering it through how can I pay the least amount in taxes, right? And, and so it, instead of going to making a profit or doing something to generate more revenue, we would do something else like like make a purchase that we don't need in an effort to pay less in taxes, which which hurts you more than if you just would have made the extra income and paid the extra tax. And so I, I think in light of what we're talking about, it's important that we don't let the tax tail wag the dog. That's a good call. Yeah, I think I think another implication to that of buying things to try to create deductions and save taxes now is when you get to a point personally owning a business and you want to go buy something large. So buy something like a, a Joey house or a Russ house and not being able to qualify because you've spent all the bit all the all the cash flow out of the business and have avoided taking that as as income and not paid yourself as owner of the business like you should have. And so you can run into issues there. Yeah. Don't get me started on those, uh, those days in the mortgage, mortgage years when somebody called me up and they say, yeah, I'm self-employed. I'm like, Oh no, this isn't going to go well. I'm going to ask for their tax returns. They're going to tell me they make 250,000 and I'm going to pull it up. It's going to say 20,000. Like this is not going to go well. And, uh, but yeah, it, it was constantly, that sort of scenario where everything is written off and, and nothing is actually reflected as income. One of the coolest things that we've seen business owners do within their business is we've referenced it a few times, but I think to give people a little bit clearer picture is to create loyalty bonus programs through for their top employees. And this is not a strategy you do like immediately when you start learning infinite banking. Typically, it's usually when you're trying to expand, looking for a place that you can um, insure further than what you can on your own life, let's say. But to, to take a policy out on one of your key employees and to fund that over a period of time to subsequently give that person a bonus once they reach a certain time period you agree upon. So like, let's say, hey, if you stay with me for 10 years, I'm funding this, this uh, bonus and I will provide this to you in a lump sum or in some sort of a payout at that time. And it is a really, really great retention pro uh, program because, I mean, compare that to like funding a 401k for one of your employees. They literally start receiving that and 12 months later, they say, hey, I'm out. They take all the money with you. You have no access as the business owner and there's, there's, there's no loyalty created in a 401k plan. But with this, if the employee leaves before the 10 year or the time frame the allotted, they get nothing. You continue to have access to the cash and, uh, and you've got the asset of the, the life insurance policy on their life, even if they've left. So just, just something I think is a tangible, practical thing we've done for a lot of different business owners that, um, that people can use IBC for. No, that's a great practical uh, answer to my question, which was good. I, I'm glad that you couldn't remember your own, but you remembered mine. And that was a well done. How do we ensure other people in the business? That is an amazing one. I love that, Joey. Thank you for answering it. And as we get ready, we're getting ready to jump into the inner circle where we can kind of go deeper with people on a kind of live one-on-one -on -one question and answer session. If you are not already a member of our inner circle, I totally encourage you to participate in that. You can go to wealthwellwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle. We have a seven day free trial. And a part of that, not only do you get to have live access to us once a week, but also you can ask these questions and you can get behind the scenes of where we go in detail to how these policies work for different insurance companies. 
and you can be a part of a group of people who are already doing this. So highly encourage you to participate in our inner circle. It's where we give all our attention, all our value when there's no question that gets left unanswered in there. And I just would love to see your face and have a chance to meet you as well. So thank you so much as always for listening to this week's podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.